Hey everybody, thanks for joining us at the Central and Janesville podcast. Please remember to check us out on centraljanesville.com throughout the week. We're excited for wherever God's got you at right now, and we hope this message brings you a little closer. Thanks. You know, there's a, uh, there's a spot in Scripture. There's only one spot in Scripture where Jesus prays for you. Yes, you, in particular. Now, I, I, I think, I, I love the idea, I love the question, you know, if, if, Jesus, if Jesus were going to pray for you, what would he pray? Like, of all of the things, and this, this moment that we have recorded where Jesus prayed for you, the only time that it happened was a, a moment that, um, that happens right toward the end of his ministry. I mean, if, if, if he was like at the very, it's like deathbed prayer that Jesus is praying for you. Are you interested in what Jesus, if he had one thing to pray for, for you, are you interested in what he would be praying? I hope you are. I hope your interest is piqued because I think it'd be a pretty important thing to know. What's he going to pray about? Like, I think he should pray for me to win him the lottery. I, I, what is, what, but what matters to him? What does he think matters enough at the end of his life to pray for you. And so he's, uh, he's out and he's off praying and he knows he's about to be uh, arrested. And, um, and while he's off praying, he's, he's, he spends a lot of time praying for his best friends, his disciples, the 12 guys who've been following him around, who've been learning, who he knows are going to take the, um, the, the mantle and are going to start teaching, uh, hit, preaching his message afterward, and he's praying over them. And then, and then he moves on beyond just his disciples, and this is where our, our, our little scripture here starts. It says, my prayer, Jesus says, my prayer is not for them alone, not just for the disciples, not those 12. I I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That's you, right? Because this is like a, a cosmic game of telephone. Over the course of centuries, people would tell this story, the story of God sending his son and the whole gospel that he died, that he rose again and that he could live and work in us and through us. That gospel is a story that has been passed down through the generations, beginning with those disciples. And so he says, I pray also for those who will believe in me through the message of these disciples, that all of them may be one. Everybody say one. That all of them, if he had one thing to pray for you, this is the only one we got. I mean, I'm not saying he doesn't pray other things for you. The Bible says he lives to intercede for you before the Father. He's always praying for you. But the, the question is, if there's one time that we haven't recorded what he does pray for you, there's only one thing he wants to say. There's only one thing on his mind, and that thing is unity that you would be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. And so if Jesus had one thing to record that he was going to pray for you about, he did, and it was about unity. 
And so we're in this Central Strong series. What does it take, not just to be a strong church, but because we're a strong church, to help you be a strong family and a strong person. And today we want to talk about unity. Unity is so much more important than we want to make it. And, um, and in order to do that, uh, I, I don't want to just... I don't want to talk so much about unity in the church because the truth is our church, we have been so blessed. Our, our church is a church filled with unity. We don't have a lot of people arguing. We don't have a lot of the infighting. You know, there were, back in the day, people would, um, people, churches would split over uh, arguments about carpeting color. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's just not who we are. And I'm so grateful that we have a church that, is, that focuses on the main things and that we don't get all bogged down in all the arguments and disunity. And, um, and so I don't specifically want to talk that much about unity in the church, but I do want to talk about unity when it comes to, to living out unity in, in the other areas of our lives, out in the world with people, with strangers, with, with the, the world at large. What does it mean to be a person devoted to unity out there? What about at work? What does it mean to be a person devoted to unity wherever you spend your time at work or school or whatever you spend your time doing? And maybe the most important place for unity is in the home. What does it look like to have a home that's filled with unity? And what part do you get to play in creating that? And so um, in order to do that, I want to I take you into another scripture. And I... I love this scripture. I love these books um, that we're going to look at because most of the time that Paul wrote in the New Testament, you know, most of the New Testament was written by Paul. And most of the time when he wrote, he was writing to groups of people, to large groups of people, you know, to a church. Like, I'm going to write to the church in Ephesus. And so we have the book of Ephesians. And, we, have, you know, I'm going to write to the, the church in Rome. So we have the book of Romans. And, um, and so most of these were, like, he would write this letter. He would send it via courier to the church. And they would actually have these big group gatherings where the letter would be read to the church. And it's sort of this, this broad thing. And he, he's speaking directly to this church, but there are a few letters that aren't written to groups, and the letter we're going to look at today is actually just written to a guy, just one person, and his name is Timothy. Now, Paul and Timothy are good friends, and it's like Paul is the older elder statesman guy. He's the guy who's been doing this for a while, and Timothy's a kid. He's just, I, I like to think of him as Timmy. You know, like, it, he's, a, he's a kid. He's figuring it out. Now, Paul thinks he has got a ton of stuff going for him. He believes that Timothy can be a fantastic leader. He believes in Timothy, and so he is going to, he's going to invest in this kid, right? And so, he, as he invests in him, there are times when they're apart, and so he decides, I'm going to write Timothy some letters. And these letters are... Um, we have, we get a chance to read them in the books of First and Second Timothy. And so our, our scripture for today about unity is something that Paul was trying to teach to Timothy. And so we're going to dig in real deep on just two verses uh, that Paul wanted to speak to, th to Timothy. And here's, he wants to talk to him about what a leader looks like who, who creates unity rather than disunity. And here's, here's how he, oh, but you know, before we get into there, you can leave it up there. But 
before we get into it, I just want to say this. Just like this letter was not written to a group of people, you know, it wasn't written to a church. It was written to a person. I, I would like to suggest that as we dig into this scripture, that each one of us decides, you know what, this scripture isn't for everybody else. It's just for me. It's not speaking to all the other people, because we're going we're gonna to dig kind of deep today, and it's going to be kind of hard. And our, our tendency is going to be, boy, I wish so-and-so were here to hear this. Right? Oh, man, if that person would just... No, but today, I just, just like this letter was written from one man to another, I want to I suggest that for us today, this is a letter written from God to your heart. Not for everybody else. Just for you. And here's what he wants to say about unity. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments. Okay, let's skip the whole thing. <laughs> like that. I, oh, foolish and stupid arguments. Our world is filled with foolish and stupid arguments. How, are we, how the heck am I supposed to stay away from foolish and stupid? I better not have social media. That's for dang sure. That is like the, that's the cesspool of foolish and stupid arguments, right? Don't have anything to do. He's saying, don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know that they produce quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach, and not resentful. Man, there's a, there is a ton in there, but I just want to start at the foolish and stupid arguments part. Yeah, it's because there it's it's everywhere. And and I want to talk about it out in the world. I want to talk about it at your work. I want to talk about it in your home. Um, but you know, one of the things I think of foolish and stupid argument, how, be honest with me, raise your hand if you are a person who suffers from road rage. Anybody? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, excellent. I'm, I'm proud. I'm proud of you for the first step is accepting it. Now my wife is beautiful and wonderful and kind, and you probably think she is the nicest person in the world. And she is, unless she's behind the wheel of a car. <laughs> because that woman has road rage times a thousand. We're out one time. It's uh, Mandy and me in the front seat. She's driving. My niece, eight, well, she's eight now. She was probably six-year-old niece at the time in the back. And, um, and you know, we're driving down a, just a, a, a residential street, and there were a couple of cars driving, being crazy. You know how they are. They're, they're young people, and they were they are driving. They pass they pass us like going sixty miles an hour on a, and my my wife does not control her um, her uh, exclamations and honking of the horn and all those things. Right? And I'm like Mandy, you're gonna get us killed. <laughs> you know, like calm down. Well. I'll tell you, we keep driving another couple blocks. They have circled around and to come find us. And they do. And so they come, they pass us again, and they stop across like this so we can't go past. And I'm thinking, this is not good. And the guy gets out of his car, and he starts yelling and screaming, and he opens his back door, and he reaches in. I'm not kidding. I am not 
exaggerating at all. He reaches in, and I say, Mandy, put it in reverse. She drops that thing in reverse, and he never pulls out anything. I, I don't know. All I know is I was like, you almost got us murdered with your road rage. Literally, actually murdered. So you people with road rage, I'm going to suggest you take it down a notch or two because you can get murdered. And I said, I said, Mandy, you almost got Aria, our six-year-old niece, murdered. How do you feel? Do you think that calmed her down? No. She was still ill. But that uh, stupid, I think of stupid and foolish arguments that happen out in the, on the road. I think about them all over on on uh, Facebook and, you know, people get, people get involved in these arguments. Every once in a while, I will read through, uh, but I never get involved on those things because I know nobody's interested in learning anything on Facebook. Um, and so I, I read through and people get so upset and hurt and offended and all of the other things. And I just think, what is happening? And so Paul is saying, just don't get involved in stupid and foolish arguments um, at your work. There's, I, I don't know what you do. I don't know if you're at school, whatever. There's always, I, I know we're adults for the most part in here, but let's be real, at most jobs, there is a whole lot of junior high behavior happening, right? There's a whole lot of people talking behind each other's backs. There's a whole lot of just stupid, pointless, foolish arguments happening and the question is are you a part of it do you ever listen do you ever throw in your two cents or four cents um at home i'll be honest with you in my house the stupid and foolish arguments mostly revolve around cleaning cleaning because I don't believe that you have to scour every inch of your house once a week. And my wife is wrong. Um, don't tell her I said that, please. Uh, no, but cleaning is a thing. Money, money, stupid and foolish arguments center around money all the time. And, uh, but, and, and with kids, and if you're a kid, how, how often have you gotten, found yourself in a stupid or foolish argument with your parent? or parents with your kids, and how, you know, you guys, I'm sure you've all heard the, there's no tug of war if somebody lets go of the rope, right? There's only an argument if there's two parties arguing, and so, um, and so how, how often do you find yourself in stupid and foolish arguments? Um, but he doesn't just stop at stupid and foolish arguments. He actually goes on to say three, three other things that are important. But, but before he does, he actually addresses Timothy with a, 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 not just a title, but sort of a job description. And it's, a, it's an interesting one. Um, it, you see, after he says, uh, don't do any stupid and foolish arguments because you know they produce quarrels. And then he says, and the Lord's servant that word servant i want to hold hold on to this a minute because he's calling timothy the lord's servant because he says and the lord's servant must not be and then he he lists a bunch of stuff because he's saying timothy you are the lord's servant and i like i, I love it i think it's a, a cool thing except that it's not the right word 
The word servant is a terrible translation of the Greek that's used here. This word is actually a, a term that is sort of an older word that is bond servant, which really is a word for slave. It's not a, it's not a servant like we, we, we think of like uh, as Alfred the butler. You know what I'm saying? Like you know, we're, that's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about somebody who's paid to do a job serving in a home. That's not what we're talking about. We are talking about a bond servant, a slave, somebody who has no choice, somebody who has no rights. And so Paul very clearly is saying to Timothy, you are a slave. And no, we don't like that. Because slavery has so many terrible, terrible things that go along with it in our culture. Our, uh, it is the, the original sin of our country. It has connections to racial injustice. It is so, the, the word slavery is so filled with all of this stuff. But the truth is, in, in order to understand what Paul is trying to talk to Timothy about, we have to understand that in the culture of, of Paul and Timothy's lives, this would have been something that they would have dis discussed. That as, as we give our lives to Jesus, we don't just serve him, we are slaves to him. We don't just like him and want to do good things for him because we like him. But if I give my life to him, I am giving up my rights on purpose. And so servant isn't the right word. The right word is slave. And what does it mean to be a slave to Jesus? Paul is saying to Timothy, as he would have thought, you, Timothy, you know that you're a slave to Jesus. Slaves don't have any rights. You don't have the right to get into foolish and stupid arguments. You don't have the right to be quarrelsome. You don't have the right to be anything but kind to everyone. You don't have the right to be resentful. That's the last thing he says, not resentful. Actually, the best, a better translation of the words not resentful is patient when wronged. A slave to Jesus has given up the right to be impatient when wronged, has given up the right to react aggressively when somebody does something wrong to us, a slave to Jesus. Now, you have, as an American, you absolutely have that right, right? You have the right to defend yourself. You have the right to say whatever you want. You have freedom of speech as an American, right? You do, and thank God you do. People have fought and died to protect that right as an American, and wonderful, that's fantastic. That is not what I'm talking about here. I am talking about those of us who have decided that we are going to become slaves to Jesus, not just go to church, but give ourselves over to the lordship, to the kingship of Jesus, so that we're not just servants and doing what we want to do, but then sometimes doing something nice for him because we like him. But no, we're saying that I am a slave to Christ. 
I am giving up. You have freedom of speech? Fantastic. If you are a slave to, to Christ, you gave that up. You do not have freedom of speech. You don't get to say whatever you want to whomever you want. As a, as a bondservant, as a slave to Christ, part of what we do is we give up some of these rights. Boy, you wish you stayed home this morning, don't you? <laughs> that was awesome. I heard a big old yes. Um, but I want to I drill down on three of the rights that Paul is reminding us. Now, listen, if you're here and you don't know what you think about God, you don't know what you think about Jesus, man, can I just say, we're so glad you're here. And man, I'm not trying to beat you over the head with this because if, if that's not where you are, if you're not like, I'm no slave to Jesus, that's okay. And we want you here, right? Nobody is gonna think anything less of you. But I, I, I just wanna talk specifically to those of you guys who would say that you are a Jesus follower, someone who's given yourself over to Jesus. And I just, I, I think every once in a while, we just need to be reminded that we think we've got all of these rights, and as Americans we do, but as slaves to Jesus we don't. And here are three that Paul reminds Timothy that he doesn't have the right. First is, we don't have the right to be argumentative. We don't get to be, we, this is a right we give up when we put ourselves under the lordship of Jesus. That's why unity is so important to him. And so we don't get to be argumentative. Now, um, I know that this is hard because we so desperately want and need to be right. And we desperately need everybody else to acknowledge that we're right and they're wrong. But I'd suggest this. Being right isn't a value that is held as important in the New Testament. I'm not saying it's not important at all. I'm just saying you read through the New Testament and there are dozens if not more values held as higher than being right. Being right isn't a value that's held as very important in the New Testament. Jesus doesn't say this, that by this everyone will know that you are my disciples if, what he says is if you love one another, but it's not if you have the right theology. That's not how they'll know you're his disciples. It's not if you have the right politics. It's not if you have the right even morality. He says it's by your love, one for the other. But I, I'm going to be honest, in our culture, being right has become a huge part of our identity as believers. I'm right, they're wrong. We have it all right, they have it all wrong. I'm a believer, I have to believe that. But I would suggest that an outsized need to be right damages relationships, it causes disunity, the opposite of what Jesus prayed for. And it comes more from our sinful nature than it does from the Spirit. Being argumentative. And I'm telling you, I understand 
There is this feeling that we feel like we're being good Christians if we argue with people who say something that goes against what we believe. We feel like we're being good Christians if we get offended when somebody else says something negative about Christians or says how stupid it is to believe in a God, right? We feel like we're standing up and it feels like the right thing to do. But I would suggest that we give up our right to be argumentative when we become slaves to Jesus. And so, I'll just, I'm, let's get real here, what this looks like. Stop arguing online. Stop. Like, you get online, somebody posts a meme, and it's mean, or it's um, wrong, or it's a political opinion or a moral thing or whatever that you don't agree with. And you, you just feel like me being a good believer is me arguing my point. Can I just remind you, if Jesus had something to pray for you, it wasn't about, would you, be, would you please argue for me? It's show love. We don't get to be argumentative. Um, at your work, if people are stirring up trouble, don't be a part of it. Don't be a part of it. Run away from it. In your home, and I'm telling you, I just had somebody come up to me a couple of weeks ago, and this is an, it's an older, probably a person in her 50s, um, and she said, my daughter won't talk to me. I didn't say that's older. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That was me. That was okay. I know. I'm 45. I'm almost 50, so don't worry. Um, no, 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 I, but it was a woman, uh, and she has a daughter, and she said, my daughter won't talk to me uh, because we have different politics. And I, I thought to myself, there's a, she says, we just keep arguing about politics, and so she won't talk to me. And I thought to myself, what? This is not a your daughter problem. What's more important to you? Is being right more important or is your relationship with your daughter more important? What's most important to you? Is your, is your political opinion more important than the relationship with your daughter? The answer was yes, it is. Being argumentative, getting, being right matters more. And so in your home, how important is it to you, for you to be right? Is it time to be honest and say, I'm a, listen, you want to be an ally? Great. Is it important to be an ally? Sure, you be an ally. Don't do it in a way that destroys your family. Because what's more important? What's more important is unity. So that's the first thing. We don't get to be argumentative. The next thing is that we don't get to decide when we will and won't be kind. This is the next thing that Paul says to Timothy, as a slave to Jesus, you are, part of what is expected is that you're kind to everyone. Now, let's be real. Um, are we all going to work this out? Because <laughs> the truth is, it's easier for me to be kind to strangers. This is a sickness that I know isn't just me. My, my daughter is talking to me yesterday. We had this great conversa conversation. And she said, um, I've been working, I've been praying a lot and trying to get become, 
have better reactions to things. And she said, why is it that if my friends ask me to do something for them, I would do it in a second, right? Like I wouldn't even think twice about it. But then if you or mom or Abra ask me to do something, I feel like I'm going to murder someone, you know? And I, so what is that? Why is it that it's actually harder to be kind to the people we're closest to than it is to strangers? What is that? And the truth is, it doesn't really matter. Be kind to everyone, he says. There's not a little wiggle room in that. Strangers are people too. I'm telling you, every time I go to a restaurant, because none of them have their act together, right? The question is, are you being kind? At your work, it's not enough to just not be a part of the stuff that goes on. The question is, are you, are you ac- actively kind with people? You are a slave to Jesus, if you are. You don't get to choose who you are nice to and when. And here's the last one. If you are a slave to Jesus... You and I, we don't get to have thin skin. We have to be patient when wronged. Oh, we don't get to be easily offended. That's not, that's not the job of a slave. A slave has no rights. And so when somebody says something degrading about what we believe or what we think, when somebody says something bad, man, here, you want to know the hard one? When somebody says something or does something to someone I love, Oh, you can do whatever you want to me. Don't do anything to my kids. We don't get to be thin-skinned. And you're like, well, but they said something mean. They shouldn't have. Yeah, you're right. They shouldn't have. But they're not here listening to this sermon. And this wasn't written for them today, remember? It was written for you. We don't get to have thin skin. We don't get to react poorly. That's not what we do. Now, I'm, can I just be as real as I can be? None of us is going to live this out perfectly. I am, I am, I'm not pretending that, oh, we're terrible if we don't. I just want to remind us. I want to push back on the culture that says, I can say what I want and do what I want and react how I want, and nobody can tell me else. And that's true in the world. But for slaves of Jesus do not have that freedom. So I just wanted to remind us. Do you find yourself in stupid foolish arguments it's probably a reminder that we have some maturing to do because mature followers of Jesus we realize that we gave up our rights we realize that we in a moment we're we're willing to say it's okay that that person thinks that they're right and deep down I know they're wrong but I'm going to be kind to everyone I'm not going to get involved in the argument. Because in the end, what matters more than any of it is the relationship. In the end, what matters is unity in the home. What matters is unity in the, in the people you work with. What matters is unity at, in, the, in the life of the people that you encounter between you and them. What matters is unity in your life. Peace comes when we allow ourselves to mature to the point where we don't have to react where we don't have to defend ourselves, defend our faith. When when people see us 
for the loving people that we're supposed to be rather than the right people we want them to think we are. Thanks again for joining us on the Central and Janesville podcast. Remember to check us out at centraljanesville.com. Have a great week.